Hello and welcome to another episode of ESPN Crick Info's Stump Mike Podcast. I'm Alex Malcolm. In this episode, we're bringing you an interview from Australia with Melbourne Stars head coach David Hussey. Hussey played ODI and T20 cricket for Australia and had a hugely successful career in all three forms at domestic level around the world, including for Victoria and the Melbourne Stars, where he captained the Stars to a final in 2016. He also played in the IPL for Kolkata Knight Riders, Kings Eleven Punjab and the Chennai Super Kings, as well as for Nottinghamshire in England. Hussey retired from the game in 2017 and subsequently moved into coaching. The recently completed BBL season was his first as head coach of the Melbourne Stars, having taken over from Stephen Fleming. The Stars finished top of the BBL table, but lost the final for the second straight season, succumbing this time to the Sydney Sixers. Hussey has also been appointed as an assistant coach for Kolkata Knight Riders in the upcoming IPL season, working under new head coach Brendan McCullum. We sat down just a fortnight after the BBL final for a wide-ranging conversation covering the Stars, the Knight Riders the BBL and IPL in general, as well as his coaching and list management philosophies in T20 cricket. I hope you enjoy this interview with David Hussey. You've had a couple of weeks to review or think about the season that's just passed in the final. How you, How's it sitting with you? How do, how do you look back on the season? Uh, a successful season without uh, achieving the ultimate. We set out at the start of the season to win the BBL and we fell a little bit short. Uh, I'm still flat, still feel empty, and still searching for solutions on how we can act to actually rectify uh, the grand final uh, failure. Um, I've watched the game probably about 15 times now, and uh, yeah, it hasn't been great, and it's probably <laughs> when we do interviews like this, it still doesn't help uh, getting over the fact that we lost another grand final. Do you look back at the challenger and the opportunity perhaps you had there ahead of the final? Uh, I'll look back at all the losses, um, but probably more importantly, I'll look back at all the wins and uh, that we had throughout the year and think about what we did really well, um, what we did uh, okay and what, where we can improve in, in every game. And um, The challenger here at the MCG, uh, our home fa- uh, final, um, to win a spot in the grand final in front of our home fans was yeah, it was a big letdown for us. Uh, we didn't play the way we wanted to play and we were sort of out, well, outplayed by a, a very well-planned and disciplined team. So looking back and playing the match over and over again, what have you learned? Uh, from the challenger or the grand final? Both. Uh, challenger, more about um, focusing on what we have to uh, do in order for us to win the game, what makes us successful as players individually and, and as a group. And we're a really well planned and really well uh, prepared team and we have all our plans in place. But unfortunately, the night we didn't execute our skills. So we need to um, individually go back and just sort of stay in the moment and figure out or just focus on the cricket ball either being delivered to us as a batsman or uh, us delivering the ball um, to, to their batsman and uh, hopefully taking wickets or preventing runs being scored. What have you learned as a player moving transitioning into coaching? I mean, it, it's easy to talk about choking, but in, in essence, cricket is all about execution of skill under pressure. Yep. And, and sometimes going through that process as a player, you can forget about simplifying it. What have you identified as a coach looking back and now in your first coaching experience as to how to help players get to that key state, the zone for what a better term, to, to execute their skills under pressure? Yeah, it's a good one, good question to have because when you're a player, you sort of, you do feel the pressure and you want to perform for your teammates, you want to perform on the big stage and 
being a coach, I sort of wanted to provide an environment where all players, um, senior, most senior captain players, uh, or the the rookie in the in the squad, to be as as comfortable as they possibly could be out in the middle of the MCG, so they can perform their skills under pressure. Um, I, I think in the qualifying game against the Sydney Sixers, I think the pressure really got to us. Uh, and unfortunately, it's probably on me as a as a head coach not making the group relaxed enough, just so they can focus on that cricket ball coming down to them, or them pre- um, preparing to deliver that cricket ball uh, in the heat of battle. So, yeah, that, that's probably the most important thing: creating the environment so everybody's relaxed, so they can uh, perform their skills under pressure. Have you identified that uh, learning how to manage different personalities and how different guys respond? Yeah, well, everyone's different, aren't they? So I don't know if you, you know much about the Melbourne Stars, but every player, every personnel uh, is a totally different um, personality, different kettle of fish. And uh, you go from Adam Zampa to Marcus Dornis to Glenn Maxwell to uh, Peter Hanscom, probably the most level-headed and measured person in the squad. So he's the person I go to a lot for asking how the group is, what we need to do, and uh, uh, do I need to give them a, a bit of a kick in the teeth or do I uh, sort of go softly, softly towards them? So Adam Zampa's just a competitive beast, um, who wants to win at all, all costs? So, uh, and he works uh, very, very hard on and off the field. And um, yeah, he's he's a person that uh, I really go to a lot, uh, whether to sort of get the group up and about, need a motivational speech, or just to uh, just go ease on back. Uh, but yeah, every personality is different, um, and it's the, the different personalities is actually what makes the Melbourne Stars. Uh, we're really we welcome every person into the group, and we treat each other exactly evenly, which is uh, probably uh, a true testament where the Melbourne Stars culture actually is. I want to ask you about Glenn Maxwell. Observing from the outside, the captaincy seems to sit really well on his shoulders. It, it seems to bring out the best in his cricket knowledge. He is a guy who absorbs all cricket around the world from what I can gather. Uh, loves to think out in the game. Uh, loves to be involved both physically and mentally in the game. Can you describe or explain uh, the differences between what you observe of him as a player when he's not captain compared to how well he's done as captain for you? Well, as a non, non-captain, uh, I played with him uh, and he's sort of... You, you don't really get too much from him because he's always running to and from uh, different uh, outfield uh, areas or outfield positions. Um, but then when you see him with the well, the stripes on his shoulder sort of thing, um, as the captain, you always see that he's trying to think one overhead, two overs ahead of the game, which is an excellent attribute to have. And then when you sit down with him pre-game and um, I'm a very structured person and I'll go through the stats and figure out matchups per player per player and uh, whereas he is not he goes a lot on an instinct which I definitely encourage because as a coach and through stats you only can um, sort of sift through all the information to a certain level where you need to encourage instinct and he's out in the cricket field he's in the heat of the battle and he knows what's going to happen next so as a captain I think it really sits well from him Uh, he's a great leader on and off the field uh, which is probably another great attribute of his Uh, he treats everybody with respect and um, yeah hopefully he's captain of the Melbourne Stars for, for many years to come. Have you seen his batting develop with the leadership on his shoulders as well? Yeah, I have. Um, he's become really consistent with the bat. Um, he's got this new technique, uh, which I'm still not, not sure about, but he, he loves it. It seems to be working for him. Um, he works very hard in the nets, uh, on his skills, on his skill sets. Um, the issue with Glenn, or the challenge with Glenn with his batting, is he's got so many strengths that he has to keep working at all of them, which takes a long time. But... Um, being captain as well, he has the added responsibility of what the team needs this when he's batting, and uh, he, he sort of knows when to pull back or go up and down the gears uh, as a batsman, when to take a few calculated risks, or when to hold back and just wait for the part-time bowler to come on so he can really get that 15 to 20 runs off the over. What about use, his use in the order? Uh, 
the BBL is an openers league for the most part. Yeah. It's, it's very difficult to get the depth in the middle order, and it's an interesting topic in itself, actually, the amount of um, high-quality middle-order death batters in Australia, something that the, the international side's dealing with at the moment. Glenn likes to start outside the power play. That's where he feels he has his best uh, impact. How did you wrestle with that, given some of the issues you had at the top of the order this season? Well, like you said, there's, um, the BBL or T20 cricket is opener, uh, second opener or number three. They make the most amount of runs and you'll probably, it'll be a, a probably a rare day where you see a middle order player wearing the gold cap for the most runs made. So, um, if you actually look back at the stats, uh, Glenn's probably our best suited to be an opener. He faced the most amount of balls. If he faced 40 balls, we generally win the game of cricket. So to wrestle with him to bat in the middle order alongside Peter Hanscom um, was a difficult one to handle. But we have Marcus Stornis, we have Nick Maddinson, we have Hilton Carroll, we have some really good players, Ben Dunk as well, really good players who can or are better suited at the top of the order. But I feel that where most teams are weakest in the BBL league are the middle order players. And if Glenn's batting uh, at 160 strong strike rate batting in the middle of scoring runs for the team uh, anything can happen and it probably showed through the game at, against the Renegades at Marvel Stadium when he got 80 off about 35-40 balls and uh, won the game from nowhere when we needed 13 and over and the game was probably lost and ended up winning the game with uh, I think 9 or 10 balls to spare so Glenn's uh, use at the top of the order or in the middle order so uh, it's, it's, it's a difficult one to, uh, to judge but for us at the Melbourne Stars he's better suited batting at 4 or 5 in the middle order before I get back to the stars, just on a broader question, have you got a theory on why the Australian grounds and the BBL as a competition in general hasn't developed that many high-quality middle-order players? The national side has cycled through a few. Turner and McDermott were tried in the previous two series. They're using Wade and Marsh now. Johnny Wells had an excellent season for the strikers, but middle-order batting probably hasn't been... Um, something that has been a feature of the BBL as opposed to maybe the IPL. Have you got a theory on why that is? Not really, no, but it, it's very difficult batting the middle order in Australia because the grounds are big and you're expected to, or the expectation is for you to clear the pickets from ball one and everybody knows how hard it is to uh, sort of strike it at 400, 500 from ball one. Um, and being in the middle order, you are inconsistent. If Ashton Turner, uh, I think a couple of years ago, used to win five games out of ten, which was unbelievable, so and probably richly deserved his Aussie selection. So um, if Glenn Maxwell, Peter Hanscom, uh, Nathan coulton Sebastian Gotch does that for the Melbourne Stars, I think you'll find them in Australian colours sooner rather than later. But batting in the middle order, you probably don't get the amount of balls or the volume of balls that you need to uh, to really make a, a huge uh, contribution to the team in order for you to win the game. But it's, it's one hell of a uh, difficult place to play cricket. How do you reflect on your experience? Because you were predominantly a middle order player. Yep, uh, middle order player... Uh, I don't know, it was a long time ago. Um, I really hate talking about my, my batting, so um, I think, I don't know. It's um, No, I don't really like talking about my batting. Well, in terms of teaching the role, though, um, and, and mentoring players to become better in the role, uh, h- how do you go about that? Uh, it's, it's a good question. So I generally try and encourage the players, the middle-order players, to always hit to their areas of strength. Um, so when I played, I was always trying to be five or five um get my running between wickets which means the batting intensity went up therefore you get a feel of the game and you also got one eye on the scoreboard which is a part-time that's going to come on which I could target to hit the 15 to 20 off the over so that was my blueprint um, but that's not for everybody because the game's uh, evolved over many years and you see people playing reverse sweeps laps over the keeper um, which I wasn't brave enough to do so they seem to be able to catch up very quickly these days, whereas um, back in my day, back in the black and white television days, uh, you, you couldn't really do that. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one, but always 
go back to simplifying everything, just focus on that cricket ball coming down and always hit to the areas of strength. And what about the preparation for it? I've heard Brad Hodge talk about when he moved down to the middle order actually training to face it a very low number of balls at practice and going from ball one down. Christian does it for the Renegades where he gets the the wanger to be, or the thrower to throw wide Yorkers and just hit them from ball one. How do you help guys in their preparation phase for that role? Yeah, it's a, everybody's different again, but uh, I generally encourage all the Stars batters anyway uh, to still have volume of balls. Uh, just get your hand-eye going, um, get your basics right, get your defensive shots right, just get your ball eye-ball eye tracking uh, correct, and then after that five minutes uh, period, start expanding your game into a few drives, a few cuts, a few pulls, and then at the back end of the year, your net session, your school session, that's when you work on your basics, uh, sorry, your, your wide Yorkers, your bounces, um, your base of leg stump Yorkers, and, and try and clear the pickets. But most importantly, always practice your areas of strength because that's the one that's going to uh, pay for the bills at the end of the game. I want to ask you about Marcus Stornis. He had a phenomenal season. Um, what were your impressions of, of his year uh, and where he's at with his cricket? He's obviously a bit unlucky not to be in the Australian side. How do you how do you see where he is at at the moment? Uh, he's in an excellent place. Uh, he's at the BBL Lights. Um, he's just a, a force that walks out to bat. He's an imposing uh, stature, a big-bodied human being. He hits the ball out of the stadium. So... Um, where he's at with his cricket, he's probably one of the best uh, all-rounders going around in, in T20 cricket and probably longer form of the game as well. So, um, good person, good team man. Uh, I, I think he's... If I was a selector of Australia, I think he'd be playing uh, Test Match Cricket and One Day Cricket and T20 Cricket for Australia. He's, uh, he's that talented, he works hard and he's a great team man. How, do you, how does it sit with you, the, the fact that he, he's opening and then the role for Australia for him possibly in the middle order um, he's talked about the fact that he likes to be versatile he's versatile, he has played in the middle order in the IPL and also for Australia previously you obviously don't see it as an issue in terms of playing as an opener and being a key plank at the top for the Stars but potentially going and moving into the middle for Australia No no issue at all um, Marcus is so adaptable, he plays in the middle order for WA in four day cricket and one day cricket, he does very well for them um, he's batted in the middle middle order for the Stars uh, for a few years until he got um, cattle prodded up to the top of the order um, which he's excelled at um, he's a great fielder, great bowler, great team man he could do whatever, whatever the coach asks he'll do it uh, to the best of his ability and um, yeah, he'll fit into any, any team, any dressing room How did you help him work through the fact that he, he was doing so much because you've been in this experience yourself doing so much, scoring so many runs being so prolific and not getting the, the phone call that you want how do, how do you manage that as a from a personal perspective and then as a coach with a player who you clearly feel frustrated for? Well, everybody wants to play cricket for Australia. They want to play at the highest level and test their skills against the best players in the world. So when Marcus was non or not selected uh, in the most recent trip to South Africa, yeah, he was disappointed, frustrated. Um, <clears throat> I don't think he really understood the reasons behind it, but... Um, Basically, we sat down um, and probably spoke for about half an hour, 40 minutes, just about um, just about life and, and cricket. And, and the non-selection came up a little bit, but it was more about uh, there's more to, to life than just cricket. His focus is just worldly. Um, as long as he's happy and healthy upstairs, um, he's looking after his family, he's looking after his friends and spending time with them, and most importantly, being a good role model in the dressing room and, and teaching the, uh, the younger members of the Melbourne Stars players. Uh, he's in a good place and... I think you'll find that this non-selection will actually motivate him to be a, a, a all three forms of the game player for Australia in, in a few years' time. 
So in this review phase after the season, you're obviously looking at the list. Um, I wanted to ask you about the use of resource. It, it, it's a limited resource league, the BBL, compared to the IPL, because you've only got the two overseas compared to the four. You guys invested the two overseas in the bowlers, which worked a treat. Harris Roth was outstanding. Sadnip's been a great great pickup over the last two years. You've got really good domestic batters, but you obviously would have loved a little bit more out of Madison and Dunk this season. How do you review that, and how do you, how do you look at the deployment of your overseas resources in in a league like the BBL. Yeah, so I'm sort of a believer like yourself that bowlers winning the games of cricket, uh, definitely in T20 cricket anyway. And Harris Ralph was a breath of fresh air. Him and Dale Stain shared the fast bowling and death bowling duties, and I think that was our biggest strength uh, for the Melbourne Stars was the death bowling. So from 15 overs onwards, I think we went for the uh, the least amount of runs throughout the competition, which is huge, and we took wickets, which is um, a huge bonus for, for any team and allows you to chase down 140 instead of 160, 170, which is rather difficult. Um, with the batting, I still think we're very strong with the batting. We've got good domestic talents, um, and I sort of... Um, plagiarising sort of the Chennai Super Kings uh, playbook by having the best uh, local talent batsmen going around like Rainer, Dhoni, um, Jadeja, uh, uh, Murali Vijay for example and we're trying to get the best domestic batters going around and hopefully they score the bulk of amount of runs in order for us to win, win many games of cricket and the finals as well um, and the overseas spinner in Sandeep uh, I just believe that if you bowl 12 to 14 overs a spin per game you, you're going to win more games than, uh, than you actually lose what about the challenge of retaining overseas for, for the length of the tournament? You guys obviously lost Sandeep. Um, the Hurricanes only had the one overseas because they lost David Miller for their final. The Scorchers lost Chris Jordan for the last game of their season. The Adelaide Strikers won their title without Rashid for the final. Renegades won their title without uh, Nabi. How challenging is that as a franchise to keep players for the duration of the BBL? Oh, it's a huge, huge challenge. Um, I remember getting a uh, call from Sandeep uh, with two games to go saying that he's got to go back to represent um, uh, Nepal against the US in a, in a series. And I was thinking, oh no, he's like a key bowler for us who bowls very well with Adam Zampa and, and in the middle overs and controls it, low run rates and, and takes wickets, which is huge. Um, to keep both overseas, or and Dale Stain as well, he was only available for five games. Um, to keep all overseas throughout the year, uh, uh, or end up being 16, 17 game tournament is hugely challenging, but that's probably why we invest so heavily in the list management, and Trent Woodhill does an amazing job there, who keeps his uh, eye to the ground, or ear to the ground, to know who's available, who's not available, and who we can ship out as soon as, as, soon as possible in order to get a replacement in. Even if they don't even match up against the opposition, we, we sort of know who's available, so um, you really got to make decisions quickly, see if that personality fits in with our dressing room really well. Um, it's a, it's a challenge going forward, but what I see the evolution of the overseas player is you'll end up having four or five on the books and you'll end up playing uh, one or two uh, the day of the game and, and the opposition won't really know which one to prepare for. You guys pulled the rabbit out of the hat with Harris Roth. Can you explain how that came about? And he, he was such a brilliant performer for you all season. Can you believe... A's development, but B, how you got him. Can you take us through that process? Yeah, well, so we signed Dale Stain for six games at the start of the year, and then we had Pat Brown from Worcester after that, and uh, Dale rang and said, mate, I've got a side injury. Um, I might not be available for the first two games. So I was like, oh, dear, we need a death bowler. We had Jackson Coleman, who was uh, sort of had a side injury as well and wasn't up and running at this stage. We are running on fumes, and on, we didn't have too much uh, in the fast bowling backup uh, area. So Nick Cummins and Trent Woodhill rang and said, look, we've got this guy. He's playing club cricket in Glenorchy, Harris Ralph. 
He's quite talented, quite fast. You know much about him. And from brutally honest, I didn't know much about him. But through the cricketing network, you, you text a few people and a few people got back and said, nah, get him, he's a gun. And so sure enough, within 24 hours, <clears throat> the three of us, Nick Cummins, Trent and myself, we said, look, let's contact Hobart Hurricanes first and try and do the right thing by them. Say, we're going to offer him a deal unless you guys... Um, offer him a deal first but you guys have 24 hours 48 hours whatever it was Hobart were a bit slow we ended up signing him and uh, thank thank goodness we did because he was unbelievable from the moment he actually arrived he bowled fast he executed his Yorkers um, he fielded beautifully and he fit in the dressing room most importantly and then to see him get selected for Pakistan from playing at the Melbourne Stars was it, it's a feather in uh, the Melbourne Stars cap uh, because the way our players treated him the way he performed on the field uh, at the MCG and for his teammates was it was excellent and I think all the boys uh, were messaging him saying we're wrapped to see you play for Pakistan and hopefully he does play in the, the World T20 uh, coming here in Australia I think it's in October ne- next year or this year sorry I should say so should be should be fun. I gather his English was, was pretty good, but he wasn't that confident with it. How did you find communicating with him early, and how did that develop through the tournament? Yeah, it was difficult, I must admit. Um, I, I know a little bit of Hindi, but not on a great deal. So, And I speak, my nervous twitches, I speak really fast, and um, which is, yeah. It's, yeah, there you go. There you go. So dealing with Harris was really easy, as in, just got to be really succinct, slow, and uh, just explain what we require of him, but also work with him because he's a world-class player. And fortunately, I've got a really good bowling coach in Clint McKay who has really good and brief and uh, uh, just exciting plans for for Harris to um, to sort of execute out in the out the middle of the field. And it, it's not rocket science. Bowl Yorkers, hit the stumps, and take wickets. So it's uh, it's a pretty simple game plan. And Harris did that every game uh, throughout. Uh, him representing the Melbourne Stars, which is great. As good as your pace bowling was, your spin was outstanding and you used more spin than any other franchise in the competition, almost double the amount of wickets, I think, and uh, nearly 40 overs more, I think, across the tournament. That's something you're, you're big on. Why is spin such a big factor for you, particularly in Australia? Well, bigger grounds as well, um, especially playing at the MCG. It's generally a, a slower pitch, uh, so players... Um, I guess don't really adapt to the spin and it does go both ways so I think it's a lost art these days with the young, younger generation batsmen coming through is they don't watch their hand enough so which therefore they don't know which way the ball's spinning so um, and it's a lost art also running down the pitch to get into the pitch of the ball and uh, hitting it to long off and long on, on the ground. I call it blue collar, blue collar cricket and I think it's a bit of a lost art so um, I think everybody likes facing the medium to fast bowling and they can get a really rhythm up and uh, they can try and hit them out of the stadium at will but facing it's a spin where it's spinning both ways varying of pace and uh, the bigger grounds definitely helps and uh, I truly believe that spin is your friend and it will go make you win more games than you lose throughout the tournament. And you worked hand in hand with Trent to build a specific list that gave you all options. You had the right arm off spinner of, of Maxwell who bowled really well in the power play, two leg spinners who were world class left arm wrist spin and then you had left arm orthodox which actually came into play against the Scorchers. Yeah 100% so uh, I think Nick Maddinson's bowling that was a bit of a luxury, uh, I didn't plan on that but uh, we'll definitely take it, put it that way but funny thing about Glenn, um Opening the bowling for us, uh, he almost had to be encouraged to open the bowling because I think he likes bowling in the softer seats of the middle overs where the field is out and um, it's easier. But 
he's actually better suited bowling the mid, at the top, opening the bowling with a new ball. Some balls slide on, some balls hold, and he generally takes wickets, which is a huge bonus for us. Um, and I think he's probably one of their best power play bowlers, which is probably one of our Achilles heels at the Melbourne Stars. But um, yeah, I, I like using spin as much as possible. It gets the uh, the over rate up, and uh, therefore you're not sort of wasting time at the back end of the innings as well, setting out plans for uh, fielders or batters who are, m- might have got on top of us. So between now and the, the start of next season, you've got a lot on. You've, you've obviously got the Kolkata Knight Rider stuff, which I'll talk about in a moment. But what, what is the planning for you? What, what do you do from here? What, it's list management strategy, planning for next season. There's obviously a lot of logistical stuff to go through. What do you, can you walk us through exactly what you're doing in this period now? Uh, I've just completed all the reviews, um, as in not player reviews, as in just so I can send it back to Cricket Victoria Board. Um, and just sort of explain and outline this is what happened throughout the season, these what we did really well, this is what we need to improve on, and these are the solutions behind improvements, um, and how are we going to invest in our uh, off-field staff um, and sort of to get the best out of them going forward. Uh, so that's done. Now we've got list management going on. Uh, I think we're going to sign six players in the off-season, which is um, we've got a theory, Trent and I, that we have 6-6-6, as in six players on three years, six players on two years, six players on one year. So we're not always... We've always got a spine to, to go behind or to fall, fall back on, really, so that the, the essence of the team's still there um, throughout the year. Um, so that's going to be very, very hectic dealing with agents. There's an embargo period as well, so you're not really meant to be talking to players or signing players, which is it's probably a good thing so everybody can sort of take a deep breath and uh, figure out exactly what you, what plan or players you need going forward. And then keep going back to the reviews on what we actually need to get better and better. Um, we've lost the finals again. Um, that hurts. I'm still empty about it, still flat. Uh, I'm reviewing what I did throughout the year and what I need to do to get better and... and more so, how do I keep protecting the team in order to keep growing as a group, treating people like adults and professionals, but also um, trying to get a little bit more out of each individual in order to uh, gain the ultimate prize. So what did you learn out of your coaching? And do, do you turn to your mentors? I know Greg Chippard, the man you coached against in the final, was a big mentor of yours. Do you turn to them and, and talk to those things? Talk to them about those things? Yeah, I do. Um, Unfortunately, Greg beat me in the final, so I'm still not um, still not over that fact. But I spoke to him on Friday for about an hour, just about different situations and how to handle things. And uh, my biggest issue is that I'm a deep thinker and overthinker about certain situations where there are either events which don't really matter and shouldn't give them any credence, or they are really big issues and really got to solve the issue. And um, I, I try and figure out the ripple effect of making that decision, um, which what happens next because of that decision so that's probably my biggest issue stop overthinking and uh, just focus on each individual to get the best out of them my other mentor is uh, Steve Fleming I'm sort of a clone between both of them Steve is more of a autonomous coach where he tries to let the professionals um, work what do you guys need to get get them into, into practice uh, to, in order to get the best uh, results out of the game whereas I'm a bit of a mixture the senior pros yes they, they hey, you got freedom to do what they need but they also uh, craving a bit of structure as well. Hey, what do you think I need in order to get the best out of myself uh, throughout the game? The junior members of the squad, the, the Clint Hinchliffs, the, uh, the Lance Morrises, even the Hilton Cartwrights for that matter, they, they're striving for, for, for structure. What do you see? What do I need in order to get the best, uh, get the best results for us out in the middle of the MCG, hopefully in the grand final for us to win the, win the tournament? How hard is it as a franchise coach? You've, you've had a lot of experience in the Victoria setup. 
it's a 12-month-a-year process being a part of a Shield and domestic team. But in a franchise setup, you've only got the players for six to eight weeks and don't get that much communication with them outside of times. So how do you deal with that? Uh, communicating with players, trying to help them with the improvement of their T20 game over the winter months when you're not working with them one-on-one? Difficulty, uh, with great difficulty actually, because you're sort of respectful of their uh, state environments. You don't want to um, well, tiptoe into theirs and then change what that batter's actually been working on or what that bowler's working on. Um, it's more about just touching base with them and... Uh, I'll definitely endeavour to try and get around to each state and to uh, catch up with all players one-on-one. Um, constant messaging on WhatsApp, which I hate WhatsApp. It's um, You see your messages go off and it's rather frustrating, but it's something that you have to do. Um, but it's all about constant improvement. I, I want feedback from them on what worked well, what, what did I do poorly, what do I need to improve on, because if you're not improving, uh, you're standing still and you're not going to get the best results. So... Uh, in the winter months, I'll definitely get around to every every player and uh, yeah, try and have one-on-one with them and, and try and get the best out of them, but also get the best out of the Melbourne Stars for next year. You've got the IPL to deal with in the meantime, a, a role at Kolkata Knight Riders under Brendan McCullum. Can you tell me what the chief mentor does? Chief mentor? I don't really know. Um, <laughs> that's the role title. That's the role title, yeah. yeah. Um, from my understanding, dealing with Brendan, um, who's going to be a fantastic coach, he's uh, a bloke's bloke and knows cricket inside out and his tactics are, are brilliant, so um, looking forward to learning under him. Uh, chief mentor, I think I'll be looking after the batting, the batting tactics side of things and how we're going to play on certain certain grounds. And If you win your, your games at home, which is a huge key, uh, A, it gets the fans involved, but also goes a long way to actually qualifying for the finals, so... My job will be preparing the batters uh, to the best of their ability to score as many runs as possible at Eden Gardens, but also on the flip side, what works on um, away grounds is in the different pitches we play on, the slower used pitches and against the spin, whereas Eden Gardens is more of a pace-friendly pitch. So maybe trying to work with Brendan, sort of changing the team, which players are better suited with spinners or to play against uh, the spin compared to which players are better suited against the pace battery. Have you got an idea on what style of cricket Brendan wants to bring to Kolkata with a fresh start? Yeah, I do, yeah. Um, we've probably spoken this uh, at length about it, and it's more how to play at Eden Gardens, the high high strength, high risk, high reward game of cricket, which Brendan played himself, but also um, playing good cricket shots, I guess, from a batting point of view, I should say, um, just playing good cricket shots uh, in order to, take, to make the most out of the fast outfields and, and the good cricket pitches that you play on it at Eden Gardens, whereas... A flip side, when you're playing away, make the most out of the power play on the, the spinner-friendly pitches and then play blue-collar cricket in the middle overs and then sort of cash into the back end uh, with wickets in the shed. So that's probably a little blueprint that we're probably going with at the moment, but plans definitely change from, from game to game. We touched on about the stars earlier. Uh, use of resources is going to be interesting because you're flush with overseas talent and there's been a big spend on it and, and there's a good mix uh, and it's going to be difficult to fit um, those... I think it's six or seven you've got into a, into four slots depending on where you play it. How do you see managing those overseas players given you're going to have someone like a Tom Banton but Narayan's been opening the batting with success and he can obviously bowl. You've got Morgan in the middle order. You've spoken about the fact that you like uh, having domestic players in the batting lineup, they do have good domestic players in Gill and, and Dinesh Kartik. How, how do you manage those things? Uh, simply, I don't have to pick the team, so um, which is quite handy. Whereas at the Stars, I had to pick the team and let the players who weren't playing know, which is difficult, yet you have to do it as part of the job. But um, I'll be preparing every player to play every game they, they possibly can. Um, 
but then sort of feed back to uh, Dinesh and, and Brendan who make the big decisions and Abhishek Naya for that matter um, who's better suited for our home, home conditions and who's better suited away but I do like the idea of tinkering with away grounds can we have two teams as in a home team and an away team a bit like a baseball mentality and who is better suited to the spin friendly conditions compared to who's better suited to the, the pace conditions I want to ask you about Pat Cummins. I mean, he's the number one roller in the world and, and he deals with pressure every game that he plays, but he comes with a huge price tag. It's something that you did experience at Kings Eleven Punjab. How do you deal with that as a player and how do you deal with that as a mentor? Do you think it's something that um, you'll have to speak to him about or he'll be able to handle himself? I think the latter. Um, I think Paddy's he's does not Boxing Day tester at the MCG. Um, does it every time he plays for Australia, so he does handle the pressure pretty well. But like you said, playing in India... IPL um, in front of 60,000, 70,000 people at Eden Gardens um, where you've got owners pressuring you to, mate, we're paying you $3 million to, uh, to take five wickets a game. Fortunately, Kolkata owners understand that you can't get five wickets every game, but as long as you perform, try, um, and most importantly, give back to the dressing room, which Paddy will do in spades, um, I, I think he'll, he'll fit in perfectly. And um, My advice to Paddy and any player coming through is um, doesn't matter what happens externally, just more about just focus on the ball you're delivering. Uh, That's all that matters at that time. You're looking forward to working with guys like Owen Morgan, Tom Banton, seeing what type of uh, things that they do to become or have already become really world-class players. Is that one of the great benefits of working across a few different leagues is being and a few different franchises, being able to uh, meet different players, see how they tick, take different IP to different places and, and create learnings from that? Yeah, absolutely. So it's amazing where you find your learnings. Uh, I remember learning off Clint Hinchliffe uh, this year about batting in the nets and uh, I thought he was a bit of a leg side. Larry only hit the ball to the leg side, but um, I was trying to teach him how to play through the offside, and he said, ah, oh, it's easy, mate. All you do is just hit the ball a little bit earlier. It's like, oh. So you do get it sort of thing, which which is uh, it's a great learning experience. But get to work with Owen Morgan, the captain of England, World Cup winning captain. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be different than a young kid, Tom Banton, who's probably just starting his T20 journey. And I think his, everyone's likened him to uh, a, small, a, a new KP sort of thing. So... Um, which I can't wait to work with them and, and see which areas they hit. And it's all about um, working together to get the best results. But I'll be plagiarising some of their ideas. So, yeah, it's going to be quite exciting, actually. And how do you go, given all the IP you've got on Marcus Thornis and Glenn Maxwell, how do you go with that in that environment in the IPL where they're going to be opponents? Yeah, it's a difficult one um, because they're my friends as well and I want them to do well, but... At the end of the day, uh, it's Kolkata v Kings Eleven against Glen, or Kolkata v Delhi Capitals for, for Marcus. So, and I want Kolkata to win the, the IPL, uh, something that I never did as a player, and I want them to uh, or us to, to to hold up that trophy. And uh, I think that's why you play sport or participate in sport in order to win. So, um, didn't do it at the, at the Melbourne Stars this year, but I've still got this burning ambition to uh, actually hold up that trophy or, or see Glenn Maxwell hold up that trophy, and, and I want to see Dinesh Kartik hold up the IPL trophy this year too. I wanted to ask you about the differences between the two leagues. We mentioned before that the, the use of resources, the two overseas v4, obviously it's an auction league, the IPL, compared to a, a salary cap here in Australia. If you're Alistair Dobson, and I imagine you're having conversations with him, he's the, the head of the BBL, and you had free reign for a day, what are things you would do with the BBL to improve the competition? Uh, an overseas draft. Um, so have, say, maybe 15 of the best overseas players who commit to playing for the Big Bash uh, for the whole tournament and then have a draft. So the Renegades get the first pick, uh, Sydney Sixers get the last pick, and you get one overseas player, which CA pays for. And, um, yeah, I think 
I think that'll work wonders. We need, we desperately need heroes back in the game to, my kids, they love Glenn Maxwell, they loved uh, Dale Stain, so we want them playing at the MCG in front of packed houses. So that, that's what I'd probably change the most. Um, I'd also encourage more money to go back into the state so we can, uh, I don't know, have better resources involved, um, more money for the coaches, coaching staff, not me, but uh, the, the line coaches, the skills coaches. Um, so they're, not, they're actually working 12 months of the year with the players so we can actually have a two-week window throughout the winter time where we can work on our with our players on the bowling, batting, fielding, um, first and foremost, but also coaching development, player development, uh, just a bit more money, that'd be nice. Would you have three overseas or four overseas in Australia if it was possible? No, I'd give three overseas. Um, and like I said, so the current two that you already have, then you've got the, the draft overseas, the hero sort of thing, so... Um, the Andre Russell, uh, for example, the Owen Morgans, Joss Butler, Ben Stokes, they're, they're probably the examples of the overseas marquee players which CA pay for, but I have three overseas players uh, playing at any one time because that's what I come to see to the cricket. I want to see the best players playing in, in our tournament in Australia. How does the length of the tournament sit with you? They can't really make it any shorter given it's a home and away league. They've squeezed it into a shorter time frame than what the IPL has. I thought they did a terrific job actually, CA, this year in doing that. Do you have a feel on the length of the tournament, the amount of travel that the guys had to do this year? Uh, it's a tough one because I've got a foot in each camp. They really shorten the season, which is fantastic. All the players like that. Um, I know my wife and family like that as well. Um, I'd like to see the finals on Australia Day, the grand final on Australia Day, the 26th of, uh, of January, um, and then you work back backwards from there. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of commentary about uh, shortening the, the games, which if you have less games, that means less money comes into the sport. So, And I like more money coming into the sports, which means grassroots cricket is better resourced, better looked after, and therefore we see the, the rise and rise of the women's game, we see the rise in the men's game, and you just get the better product on the field. So I'm happy with the 14 games, just as long as all the money keeps coming back to grassroots cricket. What are the, what are the things the BBL needs to do... Um I don't know, crowd-wise or, or marketing-wise compared to the IPL, it just hasn't quite got the same following, obviously not the same population. Is there anything that the BBL can learn from that side of things? Uh, yeah, game day entertainment. Um, I think of the IPL, the game day entertainment's phenomenal. Uh, uh, it, it's OK at the moment. It's a 5 out of 10 at the BBL. I think if you can raise it to 8 or 9 out of 10, send some of the marketing gurus to America and, and see what the... Um, what they're doing over there at the NBA, Major League Baseball, the NFL, in order to get fan engagement. Reduce ticket prices. Um, I want to see as many families here as possible. Um, I want to see kids coming here and, and hopefully they get the uh, the cricket bug and, and motivates them to play cricket. It's the game that I love and I want to see it uh, grow and, and prosper in this, in this country. Um, also maybe reduce the, the time of the game as in starting at 6 o'clock rather than um, 7.40. I know my kids, they, they go to bed at about 7 o'clock, 7.30, so they, they don't even get to watch it. So um, they have to watch the replay the next day, so I'm a bit of a... I'm not a great great dad in that aspect. Don't let him stay up late. But, um, yeah, that's what I'd do, but it's it's out of my control. Unfortunately, TV dictates that. How did you find the time out this year? Um, oh, more money coming into the game, isn't it? So it's, it's probably a blessing in disguise. Um, oh, I tried just to uh, keep the batters and the bowlers, for that matter, to re- stay as relaxed as possible. For the bowling, I allow Clint Mackay to go talk to the captain just to reiterate the bowling plans we work to, which bowlers matched up against certain batters who are actually in, and then which batters, uh, which bowlers 
um, matched up against the incoming batsmen in, say, four, five or six uh, wickets down. In a batting uh, timeout, the one that I'd call, I would always call it at the end of a uh, wicket, so to break up the opposition's momentum, and then just sort of focus on, hey, what's happening with the pitch, what's the outfield like, which fielders and which bowlers we're going to target to uh, always um, to go big. But most importantly, always use it as a, um, a confidence-building uh, exercise to, to the batters who are already in, and then uh, just, boys, you've got this, uh, you own this, this at the MCG, and try and make them as relaxed as possible. Do you double-check on matchups in the dugout, some of the data that you've pre-planned and, and maybe remind or prompt players in that moment about certain matchups that could be coming up? Absolutely. Um, at the start of the year I probably did it too much and end up talking around in circles and end up doing my head in so got too many grey hairs because of it and then I sort of stopped thinking and allowed the bowling coach and the batting coach to actually do that and I don't have to sort of worry about that um, but you, you definitely think about it and you also um, trying to encourage Glenn or whoever the incoming batsman is, hey, just stay relaxed, just focus on the cricket ball coming down. Always hit to the areas of strength, but also on the flip side, if we're fielding, go to each individual fielder and just keep bigging them up and uh, hopefully you get the best results. Just on the data, you guys uh, use it quite heavily at the stars. Do you know or do you have a knowledge of, of how different it might be at KKO or does Brendan have a similar view and a similar thirst for it? Uh, don't really know. I know they've got an analyst. Uh, he works for the Western East Cricket Board at the moment. He's worked with Kolkata for about maybe a decade now. Um, Sheree is, is a legend, probably one of the best analysts in the world, so I'll definitely be spending a lot of time with him and annoying with knowing him. But, um, yeah, it's, it's part of the game now. You, you need data in order to either um, confirm your own thoughts, your own instincts, but also it's a learning tool, a conversation starter where um, you might actually don't realise that uh, a certain batter doesn't match up against a right arm off spin or a, a pace bowl or whatever where your instinct tells you the exact opposite so it's, it's or you on the flip side you see a fast bowler bowling at one particular area at, at all off uh, at all times so therefore you can use that as your advantage you've, you've like you got the answers to the test before the, the, the test actually happens so um, yeah huge data person and uh, something that I really love it's, it's almost my porn really so I really enjoy it <laughs> Uh, I've held you a while. I'm really thankful for your time. I just wanted to ask you about uh, what you're seeing with the Australian T20 side. They've been very successful over the last six months, building towards a World Cup. They're certainly getting uh, more and more specific in how they're setting up. Uh, How do you like uh, or how do you view what they're doing at the moment? Obviously, with the exception of a couple of your players that you love in the team, um, how have you seen that development from a national standpoint? Excellent. Um, I think Justin's (laughs) done remarkably well, really. It must be the hardest job in the world picking a, a T20 team because, like you said before, one, two or three make all the runs. Not too many middle-order players make consistent runs. Unfortunately for Australia, they've got really good spinners in Zampa and Agar, but also they've got the best fast-bowling attack in the world and, and decent backups as well. So, um, yeah, it's probably only really one or two positions up for grabs coming into the World Cup, but uh, what I like about it, they're st- uh, sticking tough or sticking fat with the team they have, the squad, which gives a lot of an air and confidence. I liken it to the English in the 50-over World Cup. They changed the way they played and they sort of gave it back into the current group of players. Hey, despite injury, uh, we'll always go with you guys. Go out there and entertain, play the way you want to play, and our goal is to win the World Cup. So we keep sticking fat without the way we want to play. We'll end up winning the World Cup, and they did. So hopefully Australia take a little bit of um, that, that IP from the English and uh, will go a long way for us to winning the World Cup here in Australia. Being a franchise coach is different to a domestic coach, but do you have um, conversations regularly with, with Justin, with Andrew McDonald, who's now an assistant coach, with, with Trevor Hines and George Bailey, the two selectors, about 
that side and some of your players in your team? Not really, no. I try and well, no, I try and leave them away. They've got a busy enough job, a hard enough job as it is. Um, like I said, T20 cricket, the selection for that is almost impossible. You're never going to get it right. You're always going to offend somebody. So uh, I do respect the jobs that um, George and, uh, and Trevor are actually doing, and Justin for that matter. Uh, Justin, to a certain extent, we have a little bit of um, phone chat, but it's more about... Uh, how do you manage this person or I ask him for his advice really and he's been very giving with his IP as well. Dave, thank you for your time. Your your, uh, information and insight has been fascinating. Really appreciate it. Um, You should be very proud of what you've done with the Stars this year. I know you're bitterly disappointed but uh, onwards and upwards and good luck with Kolkata Knight Riders in the IPL. Much appreciated. Thanks.